You are about to listen to a message delivered by Pete Scazzaro, Senior Pastor of New Life Fellowship and founder of the Center for Emotionally Healthy Spirituality in Elmhurst, Queens, New York. For more information or resources, visit our website at newlifefellowship.org or center, the number four, ehs.org. And let's pray as we begin this morning. And so, Lord, it is true that uh, you are the fairest, most beautiful Lord of all. So we come to you, and I pray as we enter into the uh, muck and complexity of our theme this morning of turning bad blood into good blood and loving our enemies and forgiving, that, uh, Lord, we are on themes beyond human comprehension. So I pray that you would transform us and meet us both in the Word and around communion this morning. So may we each have an experience of you, and may our face be like your face, O God, to those around us. In Christ's name, amen. All right, we're in Genesis 33, but let me begin with a story uh, about Daryl Stingley. Daryl Stingley died this past April. He was a professional football player and a wide receiver for the New England Patriots, if you're a football buff, and, uh, which means he was a guy who caught passes. And uh, it was the beginning of the 1978 preseason. And so it really was a game that wasn't important, uh, didn't have any strategic significance. And uh, the quarterback threw a pass, and, and you know, he missed it. Uh, it didn't connect with him. But then this play, other player named uh, Jack Tatum uh, came, and even though the pass had already missed him, tackled him uh, you know, head-on, uh, purposely with his helmet. And as a result, uh, it broke the neck and spinal cord of uh, Daryl Stingley, and he, became, he was paralyzed. He became a quadriplegic. And understand, this fellow was the number one draft pick in his year. Uh, he was headed for a, one of the largest contracts uh, in the NFL. He was married, had three children. And uh, so the fellow who hit him, really, it was a very nasty tackle and very unnecessary, uh, showed no remorse. Uh, and never once made contact with Daryl Stingley his entire life. He, he lived another 27 years as a quadriplegic, and again, just died recently. Uh, never apologized for it. In fact, the fellow who tackled him, Jack Tatum, wrote a book called They Call Me Assassin. And he would pride himself on doing damage, uh, life-sustaining damage to other football players. And so just try to imagine Daryl Stingley living with this and his wife and kids his whole life. And the only time this Jack Tatum was willing to make contact with him was he wrote another book after they called me assassin and he wanted to publicize the book. And he said, I'll meet with you in front of, you know, what do you call Monday Night Football at halftime so he could advertise his book. And, uh, you know, Jack Stingley, I mean, Daryl Stingley said, you know, no way. And so, so it was very fascinating to, to read his life and about a lot of his interviews. But he became a Christian, Daryl Stingley. And uh, here's what he, what he said in one of his interviews. He says, if he called me today, uh, I would answer. If he came to my house, I would open the door to him. All I ever wanted was for him to acknowledge me as a human being. I just wanted to hear from him if he felt sorry or not. What happened to me 25 years ago will never be forgotten, and you can't hold on to bitterness he says, I'm not perfect. I get angry and I lash out. But I, I've chosen 
and he shared a struggle not, not to hate because I realized, how can I benefit from that? Now, it's a pretty heavy story, but in some ways, you can look at the story of Jacob and Esau. We're in our fifth week now. Jacob was like the assassin because he did certain things that wrecked Esau's life forever. And um, Jacob is a lot like us. He, he hurt people, and we all hurt people as we move through life. And uh, if you remember the story of Jacob, he had a call from God on his life that God loved him, had a purpose for him. But, but Jacob, his very name means crooked or cheater or grabber. He's always trying to make things happen. And uh, he, he's a person, his whole life is filled with struggle. And that's why this series is a great series for us. I've gotten so many emails about it because I think we all struggle. We struggle with God and we struggle with all of our relationships with people. And yet God, you know, wrestles him down to the ground. And so we've been in the series and, and on lessons in the life of Jacob. And we talked about in the beginning about how he, you know, he... Um, he manipulates and, uh, Esau to steal his birthright, uh, and, uh, and we talked about week one, the striving, rushing, manipulating J Jacob in, uh, in Genesis 25, and then we talked about week two, when he steals the blessing, and he dresses up like Esau, he lies to his father Isaac, and uh, steals the blessing from Esau, and again, he, at that point, he's got to run for his life, and so he, he flees his home country of Canaan, and he's got to run 500 miles to his uncle Laban's house. And then week three, we talked about how in this process of running, not working, Mike, I need you, uh, he, he, God meets him and builds a ladder towards heaven, and God invites him to stop and, and look and listen. And then week four, we talked about last week how God grabs him and finally cripples him and dislocates his hip. Because again, Jacob's the kind of guy that, that runs his own life, and he's got his own plan. He's very stubborn. He's got a lot of self-will. He's a lot like us. We're all Jacob's. And God meets him. And last week we talked about how God met him and dislocated his hip and crippled him. And so Jacob forever walked with a limp. And we talked about how God causes us all to limp. He dislocates some part of our lives. And we talked about how limping is, is whatever God uses in your life to cause you to be powerless and depend on him is your limp. And we all have limps. Every class, culture, nation of the world, regardless of your age, God brings us to limps. The question is, what do you do with it? Jacob at this point receives it, receives God's mercy, God changes his name. He becomes known as Israel at this point. And so it's a great text. We had a really wonderful time with that last week. And it was tremendous. So here he is now. He's returning back home. It's been 20 years since he's seen his older twin brother Esau. Esau had made a vow to kill him when he would see him. So Jacob's been living under this pressure of the fact that his brother has unforgiveness toward him. He's wronged him. And um, he's probably going to get killed. So he's filled with fear. But what's interesting is that in, as he's met God now, he's, been, he's now walking with a limp, he's now got a relationship with God that's alive, but he's got to deal now with his relationship with Esau. And it's very important because, you see, your walk with God and your relationship with other people are all wrapped up in one. They're two sides of the same coin. And, and uh, when there's bad blood in a relationship with people, it impacts your relationship with God. And that they're inseparable. That's why this issue of forgiveness is and, and, and such a profound uh, issue. So our theme today is moving from bad blood to good blood. That's the theme. Because Jacob and Esau have bad blood for really almost all their earthly lives. And, and God is now giving him a chance to work out his discipleship and move towards good blood. So loving your enemy and forgiving and moving from bad blood to good love, good love, good blood hits the core of really what it means to be a Christian. So... Uh, just, there's a verse before you which really brings it out in 1 John 4, a verse that's really hard. It says, we love because he first loved us. 
If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. If anyone who does not love his brother, whom he's seen, cannot love God, whom he's not seen. And he, and he gave us, has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. I would be a great Christian if it wasn't for people. I mean, I love God, receive his mercy, you know, enjoy it. But it's the people thing that tricks us up. And as Jacob has an experience of God smiling on him, of being forgiven, giving a new name, uh, receiving grace and mercy, the first thing God has from him is to deal with this bad blood relationship, this conflict, this tension with Esau. And it's just like us. You want to go live your Christian life, just you and Jesus. But God knows that for you to mature and grow in him, it requires dealing with your relationship with people, especially who are your, quote, your enemies, those who've betrayed you, those who've hurt you. Because becoming like Jesus is becoming like God, who is love. And as this verse points out, I, this is, I, I hate that verse. I mean, that's a, that's a murderous verse. Because <laughs> I'm like you. I want to get through life without hurt. I don't want to be hurt. I don't want to suffer. But that's like saying I'm going to jump in water without getting wet. You cannot live life without being hurt and without suffering. But the way you respond to hurt and the way you respond to suffering is, is, is the way that your spiritual life is shaped. I mean, this is, this is the core of your spirituality and mine. It's, it's rubber hitting road. And, and uh, hurt comes to us in every direction, doesn't it? Friendships and marriages, if you're married, and in our families, in our schools, and every workplace, neighbors. I mean, it just, it, just, it just comes. And some is very deep. Some of you are carrying hurts that go back thousands of years in your culture towards other cultures, right? Whether it's African-American and white or Arab and, and Jew, and we can go on. And then we've got temper, temperaments. Some of us are really touchy. You know, we're just, we're highly wound, tightly wound, you know? And someone crosses us, we whack them, you know? And Others of, us, others of us were more passive-aggressive, we're easygoing and let it slide, but we still hate the people, you know? And, and then you've got where, you, I think where you live is a big factor. I mean, really, if I lived, I think, if I lived in a rural place like Lancaster, Pennsylvania, with dune buggies, and I didn't see a lot of people, I had a nice farmhouse without electricity or technology, and I think I'd be a lot more gracious. Tommy, I forgive you. Grace. But you know what? Living in New York is hard. I mean, I mean last week I, I saw a guy, you know, was trying to get into a lane, and this guy, and, but in front of a car, you know, get in front of one car, and this guy and this other car just got out. He started cursing this guy out. I mean, I was getting nervous. because I was like, he's going to kill him. You know, I'm just like, oh, man, you know. I, I don't want to be a heroic citizen here. But, you know, when you live in that, I mean, the idea of loving your enemies and forgiving. We live in New York. It's a very hostile place, you know. Some of you are visiting, and you've become hostile. You know, just you, you cross over the bridge. So, you know, the idea of moving from bad blood to good blood, I mean, it, it's a task. And so, you know, we did a series on the Lord's Prayer this past spring, and we took each petition. But remember, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And then you get this great line, forgive us, Lord, our debts, right? Forgive me my sins, Lord. Give us our debts, what I owe you, God, as we forgive those who have debts against us. And, and, and Jesus gives us this model Lord's Prayer that it's something we are to pray, not just as rote words, but meaningfully pray daily because it encompasses all of life. And, and, but right there, smack in the prayer is, you know, forgiving other people. Forgive those who've hurt us because Jesus knows that we're going to be hurt all the time 
deeply and, and, and shallowly, it's going to come. But here's how most of us pray that prayer. Lord, forgive me of my debts, even though I am not forgiving other people theirs. Now, we don't ever say that, but that's what we mean, because we know we're not doing it. So, and we don't, we don't even want to struggle with it. So we say, forgive me, Lord, of my sins, even my sins of unforgiveness. And we go on, Lord, deliver us from evil. You know, lead us not into temptation. But it really does say we, we are to struggle with, forgive us, Lord, of our debts as we forgive those who have debts against us or have trespassed against us. It really is the mark of maturity. It's a lifelong issue. It's the mark of true maturity is how I love those who don't love me and who have hurt me, my enemies. So here we are. We're going to read the text in chapter 33. Jacob has an enemy. It's Esau. And Esau has an enemy in Jacob. And uh, now Jacob is limping. You see, you need a limp to even get started in this thing, to even begin to think about forgiving people. Again, hopefully God has touched you, and you're now crippled a bit, and you've come to Christ. You're sitting here. You've got a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and you're a bit broken like Jacob is here. But it's going to be a long way from that to really getting reconciled in a relationship with Esau, as you'll see. Just like for us, yeah, we, we come to Christ, but there's still so much of the old in us. We're a long way from really walking out this restoration of relationship. But anyway, let, let's see Jacob. He's a new man now. His name is Israel. He's been converted. Verse 1 of chapter 33 of Genesis. He's crossing into the promised land. Here's Esau coming with 400 of his men, and, es and Jacob thinks to kill him. Verse 1, Jacob looked up. And there was Esau, coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. He put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He, went, he himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. It's quite a moment. He threw his arms around him, his neck, and kissed him, and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children and says, who are these with you? And Jacob answered, they are the children God has graciously given your servant. Now, move down to verse 10, because Jacob tries to give him all these gifts, and Esau says, no, no, don't give me the gifts. But then Jacob says this, verse 10. Now, no, please, said Jacob, if I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. Now, here's the key line. Underline this in your Bible. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God, now that you have received me favorably. I'll read it again. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now, underline that phrase. We're going to come back to it. So, so here's Jacob. If you look closely, as before this, before his conversion in chapter 32, he was not going first. But at least now he's going to meet Esau. He's a changed man. And so he goes in front. He's got courage now because he's met God. He, at least he's dealing with the issue somewhat. He recognizes he has ripped Esau off, and now he gives him, it's not, I didn't read the full text, he gives him these, all these gifts. He basically returns to Esau all the blessings that he has stolen from Esau. All, if you read in chapter 32, all these animals, you know, hundreds of animals and, and blessings. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a complete expectation, a complete reversal of his stealing. And it's a gift that are beyond anything found in the ancient Near East. And, and now you'll notice his language is all God, God, God. Jacob's met God. Before this, he never talks about God. I mean, he uses God. But now he's saying, you know, in verse 5, you know, God has blessed me with these children. And God has blessed me with these goods in verse 10 and 11. And, 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 and the wonderful thing is Esau has been changed. God has been working in Esau. And here's Esau. His anger has cooled over these 20 years, and now he comes with these 400 men, 
and, and he's got his full of heart affection. And if you, I don't know if you noticed, but it's, he's just like the father in the parable of the prodigal son. He, Esau, who's really, ready for this? I'm not even sure Esau is a believer, okay? He's referred to in, in, in Hebrews as, you know, a non-Christian or half a Christian. He's you know, not a guy who's seeking God, but yet here he is. He's acting more Christian than Jacob. Isn't that the truth sometimes, though? There are folks that are pagans that are a lot more loving and godly than we are. Thank God we're not saved by our ability to be forgiving, or else we'd all be in hell in a handbasket, you know? <laughs> we're saved by Jesus alone and through his blood. And, and, uh, but so here's Esau. Esau's like the father and prodigal son. He, he, he runs, he throws his arms around Jacob, who's ruined his life. He kisses him, he weeps. I mean, unbelievable. And uh, you say, wow, what, what a great story. And uh, there's nothing like it in the book of Genesis. It's, it's amazing. But what you don't read is the rest of the chapter here, you know, in verse 12 and following, Esau says, come on, Jacob, come home with me. Let's now live as brothers. Let's have a, let's have a reconciled relationship. And basically what Jacob does is he lies at this point. He says, yeah, let's do that. But then he says, yeah, but my, my, my animals are tired and so are my wives, you know. And so give us a time to rest. Then we'll come. We'll meet, you, we'll meet you back home. You know, but he's lying through his teeth. And so Esau agrees, okay, I'll see you later, you know. And basically what Jacob does is he goes 20 miles in the other direction. And he basically buys land and camps out away from Esau. And so he lies. And there's never really a reconciliation. There's not really a connection. What looks so great in the beginning, like, wow, these guys are, this is a fantastic story. He beats God. They live happily ever after. They're reconciled. But uh, they never become close brothers. The bad blood never becomes good blood. In fact, what happens is their families end up hating each other for generations. They're never reconciled. Isn't that something? And there's really no record of them having a relationship after this at all. And uh, because they never got to the root of the issue. It was a cheap forgiveness. You know, and, and uh, so the bad blood remind, remains bad blood. Now, you know, in my culture, Italian culture, we have this expression called forget about it. You know, we say forget about it. But, you know, it doesn't really mean much. We say forget about it, but we really don't forget about it. We remember it. You know what it's like? You have a tension with someone in your family and, uh, you know, it goes way back of, of conflict. And, and then you go to a wedding and everybody has a couple of glasses of wine. You know, everyone's feeling very sentimental and warm and dancing. I forgive you. You know, uncle, don't worry about it. It's fine. Forget about it, you know. And then for about a week, it's fine. Until something happens. I hate that guy's guts, you know. And, and, and the bad blood remains. And so, it, and so the bad blood never moves to good blood. It remains bad blood. Now, this is, this is <clears throat> you know, cheap forgiveness is common, especially in, in the church. We have a lot of cheap forgiveness. This is, this is cheap forgiveness, what's going on here because it really doesn't bring lasting change. And cheap forgiveness means it's quick, it's easy, there's no process, there's no, no coming to terms with the injury. It's the illusion that everything's fine, but it's not. And, um, and kind of acting as if nothing's wrong. Because you don't want, maybe you don't want the person's anger. I mean, there's lots of reasons why we do it. Maybe you don't want them to abandon you. Maybe you're like me, I hate mess. I hate mess. I just want to clean it up and let's move on. And, uh, you know, this woman, Janice, Spring, who's an author, you know, she was interviewing uh, a couple on Good Morning America. And uh, she was interviewing the, the wife in front of millions of people on television, tells her husband that she had an affair um, when their only child went off to college. So in front of this audience of millions, um, she's expressing this deep remorse for having hurt him and wounded him. And uh, he just accepts the apology quickly and extends his hand and says, I don't need to talk about this anymore. I forgive you and just want to move on. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Woo! All right. 
but really, that was a cheap gift he gave her because, you know, it cost him nothing. And he didn't have to process the pain of it, or at least blocked it out, nor did he have to get to the roots of why, in her loneliness, she ran to an affair anyway because of some of the dynamics going on in their marriage, which to excavate that was a whole new level. He didn't want to go there, so cheap forgiveness was, just let's get rid of it, which happens a lot in the body of Christ. You know, we, we, don't, we don't want that. We say words that are shallow, and, uh, even, and, and so we get back in underhanded ways. We're passive-aggressive, you know, or we withdraw, we detach from people. We say, I don't want to see them anymore, physically or emotionally, and, or we pretend to be nice. The great pretending to be nice is classic, but inside we're, we're angry. And we see that person, we get a knot in our stomach, and we walk the other stair, to the other stairwell. And, uh, but we, we try to preserve the relationship, but it's not based on truth. Like Jacob and Esau are trying to have a relationship here, but it's not true, because they don't get to some of the root issues. And, uh, and I'll tell you, cheap forgiveness, it's so notorious, it makes you sick. Physically, I mean, there are studies that have been done of what that does to your body, and it makes you sick emotionally as well. It has all kinds of implications. It deadens us. So, you know, I made a decision today. I'm going to take you on a little journey with me, at least for a sermon. I'm going to try to do something that really probably belongs in a weekend seminar because it's got so many facets to it. And because here you see an, exa you see an example of cheap forgiveness, cheap asking of forgiveness and cheap giving of it uh, from Esau. But what does it really look like to, to get in, in the mess and ask for forgiveness, genuine forgiveness, and really give genuine forgiveness? And so I want to just, I'm going to, give you some points, and uh, there's three or four in each. So write them down and somewhere on a piece of paper, and I want you to reflect on them when you go home, because this really needs like us to meet in a weekend, and we work it out and talk about it, because there's so many nuances to it. Uh, you know, forgiveness, I, I, and I've preached on forgiveness you know, many times over you know, these years. In fact, we did a message on it just a few months ago. But it is so complex and deep, the issue of forgiveness. There, there are so many angles and ways to hit it, and, and I, I'm going to tell you right up front, I don't know, okay, because you know, I don't know. There, there's, there's, what about this? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, a lot of it is, is just, it's beyond me and human comprehension, and, but I know the Bible calls us to love well. The Bible calls us to speak the truth in love. The Bible calls us to forgive, even though they know not what they do. It calls us, to, we're to be like the face of God to people, uh, but it doesn't give the specifics on how do I actually walk that out. It gives some hints along the way, but probably was because if the Bible said do step one, do step two, and do step three, we would make that a new legalism. And we would miss God and the process. And God purposely does not give us all these steps. But I'm going to give you what I think are some of the tasks of each, and, uh, but you can add to it or subtract to it. Because, you know, forgiveness is, you know, sometimes did, did I forgive the person 100%? Maybe the truth is it's not always either or. Sometimes maybe I forgave Drew 80%, and maybe he's, maybe he's asking forgiveness about 10% or maybe 30% of his heart. But most of the time, it's like these percentages. You know, it's not really fully clean. But if we were going to have a full, clean reconciliation, which is really the ideal, is that it's God with us. God took our bad blood toward him, and he made it good blood. And even though we're still nasty to him, he still smiles on us and loves us in Christ. That's the amazing thing, and we're called to do that for other people. But it's quite a challenge. So, we struggle. What makes Christians different, if you're a Christian here today, is we don't choose to not forgive. We, we, we struggle with forgiving our enemies. We don't have it all down. We're not expert forgivers, but we struggle with it. We wrestle with it and say, God, you know how I'm feeling. I want to kill them. But I pray, I pray the Lord's Prayer, you know, two, three times a day. And when, every time I get to that, you know, when I'm in a tension with somebody, 
okay, Lord, forgive me of my debts as I forgive those who have debts against me. And I get choked up because I don't want to. But I've got to struggle with it as a follower of Jesus. I know he's forgiven me and had tremendous mercy on me. So God, help me forgive them. Do the miracle in me. That my, and, and he does. Over time, he does do a miracle in us. So what makes us unique is that we struggle with it, not that we're experts at it. Now, by God's grace, we should be the most lo- best lovers of our enemies in the world. We're not quite there yet. So hang in there. and Because uh, it comes out of, I believe, an experience of God's smile on us, his love towards us, out of which we're able to love others. So uh, if you've been hurt by somebody, and we all have, and maybe you're carrying something very raw right now inside of you, uh, I want to begin with, what's the, what are the tasks for genuinely asking forgiveness first? And uh, again, not that, so some of you may need to ask forgiveness from somebody. How, how do I do it well? And here are some things to, to lay down that we can look at, because Jacob does not ask forgiveness well. He does it half. And my concern is many of us do it half as well. And uh, not that we require this from people who've heard us, hey, ask forgiveness right or I'm not going to forgive you. No, 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 no. It, it sure does help when they do it right, doesn't it? But most of the time, life is not that easy. Very often, people have no interest in asking forgiveness for it, and yet here's God calling you to forgive them, you know, and, and love them back. So here's number one. If I pay attention, you pay attention to the pain you caused. In other words, I, I've hurt you, and so I'm actually going to take the initiative and say, tell me, you know, I, I hurt you when I did this. What has that pain been like for you? And I'm going to listen to you. Now, Jacob, to go to Esau and say, listen, I know I stole the birthright. I stole the blessing. You ended up, you know, cut off from dad and, you know, mom. And you haven't seen me in 20 years. Our family has blown apart because of my actions of stubborn self-will. What has that been like for you, Esau? Tell me. I mean, that, that would take a lot of character, wouldn't it? To listen to Esau's pain and to even draw it out of him. But that's really asking for, genuinely asking forgiveness. But then secondly, I call to apologize. I want you to notice the words after apologize, genuinely, non-defensively, and responsibly. Now, I think Jacob, in some way, he's apologizing, but it's clearly a a weak apology. It's a a superficial apology because he goes out right after this instance. He he apparently gets forgiven by Esau, and he goes out and he lies to Esau right off the bat. I mean, it it makes you wonder what was going on inside, but here's how most of us apologize. We we give bad apologies, you know, know, sorry, you know, in two seconds. Or we give what's called a sanitized apology. I'm sorry for whatever I did wrong. Just whatever. Or some of us give a shirk responsibility apology. Oh, I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings. You know? Or actually a, perfunct- a lack of ownership apology. You know, I'm sorry your feelings are hurt, but you are very sensitive. You know? and... Or, you know, like the person's still like mad at you and you're like, you know, you say, well, you know, as I said before, sorry. You know, how many times should I say sorry? <laughs> or a grudging apology goes like this. I said I was sorry. What else do you want? <laughs> Blood? Or the yes, but apology. You know, I'm sorry for what I did in hurting you, you know, and taking the blessing and all that. But you know what, Esau? You're not Mother Teresa. <laughs> and so there's apology. Actually, I had seven more on my list. You know, here I... But there's apologies that are genuine, that are non-defensive, and they're, they're really taking responsibility. Then there's apologies with a kicker to it. But genuinely asking forgiveness, and by God's grace, we should be the most humble people asking apologies. Um, and I would like to think there are, I don't need to ask 
give many real apologies often, but I do. In fact, a lot. I was at the airport this past week, and my plane got all messed up. And uh, it was a 6 o'clock flight, and, and the person behind the counter uh, was having problems with our ticket. And somehow it got messed up in the machine. And she was clearly, a, let me just say nicely, she was a new employee. So she didn't know how to work the machine. So the flight was at 6 o'clock. It's like 5.15. She starts working on our ticket, but she can't figure it out. She says, ah, something's not in the system. Looks like your, your, your ticket's void. And, uh, you know, I don't know. And so understand, she says, oh, go to the side here. I got to deal with all these other people. So we're on the side. So now it's like, now the plane's taking off at 6 o'clock. It's now 10 to 6. And she says, you know what? I don't think I can sort this out. So why don't you call the airlines and just buy a new ticket if you want to get on this plane? I'm like, all right. So of course, I'm calling the airlines and, you know, press button one for English. Press button two if it's a domestic flight. I'm saying this is never going to work. You know, I got enough buttons. to I'm pressing zero, operator, nothing. And so I'm like, you know, I realize this is, this is a goner. And I got you know, to go through security. And I mean, this isn't going to work. And so I'm just, I'm like, in a godly way, losing it. <laughs> and so I just, you know, I just, I don't know what I said, because it's a blur, fortunately. But it wasn't a four-letter word. I just said something like, you know, I don't know, like, you know, hey, you know, I mean, I, I bought the ticket, it's in there, you know, I, I didn't make the mistake, and, and then finally a supervisor comes over, you know, and, but I was a little nasty, you know, and, and the supervisor comes over and says, calm down, I'm like, all right, calm down, you know, you know. <laughs> so I walk away, you know, all right, calm down, God's in this, God, 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 God's on the throne, you know, so he sorts out the ticket, you know, and, and we can go. And so I'm walking away, and of course I'm like under conviction, like, you know, you go back and apologize, you know, and I'm like, no, I gotta go, I gotta catch this plane, you know, they made me late, you know, and you know, the voice goes, no, go back and ask forgiveness, you know, it won't take long, it'll take two minutes, you know, and I did, I went back and I said, I'm really sorry, you know, for losing it, and uh, it took 10 seconds, you know, and they knew I had to go, and I said, yeah, it's fine, we understand, you know, uh, but that going back was, for me, was significant, you know, even though it only took 10 seconds. Because I'll be honest, I, I, I didn't want to go back because it did feel like it was mostly their fault, you know. <laughs> but it doesn't, it doesn't absolve me of losing it, obviously. And, and, um, but usually we know when we have wronged somebody. If you're not dead inside, you, you, you know it. And if we minimize that when, that, when that voice comes and says, you know, you really, that wasn't right. Uh, if you don't listen to it, something dies inside of you and you're less likely to hear it the next time. And, but you see, when you go back and apologize to someone, if it's a legitimate, you know, you've really done, you're not being like a, a, like a you know, in, in unhealthy you know, doormat, but you're really asking forgiveness. When you apologize, you admit that they deserve respect and they deserve something better and you cross the line. That's what you're saying. It's a great sign of loving somebody and respect, but it's not done very well in our culture. And really, if anything, we should lead the way about genuinely asking forgiveness. But again, jo Jacob doesn't do that here. And then thirdly, we, we, you know, Jacob, what he doesn't do here is, is a third, one of the tasks. I don't, I don't know the order here, but explore and reveal the ugly truth about yourself to the person you harm. Like, what, what got you? Jacob, why are you such a cheat, grabber, manipulator, stealer? Like, what is it in you that causes you to do this over and over again? So Jacob has some work to do about what, what is it? Because, you see... If he doesn't, which he didn't do, you know, why did you hurt me like this, Jacob? You know, you, I don't know. Well, you know what? It makes you want to go ballistic when someone does that because you realize they don't have a clue and they're probably going to do it again because they haven't done the hard work of looking inside about what, what is it in me that contributes to this mess. 
And, uh, and so without a willingness to take an interest in those issues, it is likely it's going to happen again. And so it's, you know, if you're asking, it's worth going, I, I, I don't like the ugly truth, but it's there. And then finally, I, I work hard to earn back trust. You know, I just, there is a trust issue here. Jacob doesn't do anything to earn back trust. In fact, if anything, he gets the hug, kiss, and the, and the tears from Esau, they hug, but he goes right out and lies to Esau, you know, and does something again that just reinforces, don't trust this bum. And uh, so part of asking for they're going to say, what can I do to earn back trust with this person? And I actually ask them, you know, I, I betrayed you, I hurt you, I, you know, I didn't do it right. What can I do to, that would help me rebuild trust with you? It's a great question to ask. So that, that's, the, that's the full package. That's genuinely asking forgiveness. It's not cheap. Uh, and it's not easy either. It takes great humility. But if you don't want to go this route, I can encourage you with this. God will dislocate another one of your hips, all right? Because uh, this takes great humility to go this route. It's definitely not natural, uh, but it's very powerful. Now, so, oops, sorry. Now, go, now the question is, how, how do I give forgiveness? And, um, okay, good. Here we are. Now, Daryl Stingley, I don't know what his process was. The fellow, the, the NFL guy who was... Uh, paralyzed by that tackle in 1978. And I try to imagine myself uh, living for 27, 28 years as a quadriplegic because some guy gets energy from being an assassin in the NFL. And uh, just, I can't imagine the pain. I, actually, I, I, I caught a little glimpse, a little article in, in the Time magazine about this guy, and I just went and researched on the internet. I, just was, I was still, I was more and more mesmerized about how this guy worked through the issue of forgiveness. So I don't know what you're working through today, what's been done to you, big and small, and who it is you're wrestling with to give forgiveness to. But, uh, I mean, Daryl uh, Stingley clearly had needed a miracle from God. God did some miracle in this guy's life to come to Christ and to die not bitter. Uh, I'm not sure I'm that good. But um, giving forgiveness is the heart of Christianity. I, I wonder how Jesus forgave Judas. You know, I, I wonder if it was easier for Jesus to forgive the Roman soldiers who, who put a you know, crucified him, because he didn't know them. But I would think forgiving Judas, who was his friend for three years, who betrayed him, I would think that was a bit more difficult, a bit more painful, isn't it? When you're close to somebody who hurts you and wounds you, especially when it's knowingly, it's painful. It's very painful. And, um, but here I think are some of the tasks, because we are called to say, Lord, forgive them, even if they don't even ask for it. Maybe they're never going to ask for it. And yet we are called by God to give forgiveness. Now, of course, if they ask for it, it sure is a lot easier, isn't it? Man, it's a lot easier. But um, often that's not the case. So regardless, here's our task of genuinely giving forgiveness. And, and um, uh, the first is kind of, I, I don't want to give the sermon I gave two months ago, so you can get that, this in the sermon about, which is to get rid of the bad teaching on forgiveness. <laughs> you know, because there's a lot of bad teaching out there, especially when people take the Bible and they use it all wrong about what forgiveness means. And uh, so we talked about forgiveness does not mean I forget. Uh, the fact that you still remember it and get ambushed once in a while does not mean that you have not forgiven that person. It's lodged in your memory, the event. And um, uh, sometimes we do get ambushed. It doesn't mean you have not forgiven that person. It just means that it's in your memory. Uh, it's one of the scars that you carry. Forgiveness does not mean there aren't consequences. You know what? Uh, it doesn't re deny the fact that the people are responsible for their behavior. We talked about this, that, okay, you know what? You, you, you stole the money, return it. Or you lied about me to your family. I want you to go to your family and tell them the truth about me and make that right. Uh, or it doesn't mean we don't grieve. Uh, 
there's a whole grieving. You know, forgiveness is related to grieving. I, get, I lose something that I, that I can never get back. That's what, that's what makes it so heavy because it's, it's, it's done. And the relationship can get healed, but it's never fully the same because there's a loss. And we don't live in a perfect world. And uh, so part of, of bad teaching on forgiveness means is that, no, I, grieving is important. I, I must give range, must give freedom for the full range of my emotions, anger and rage. But I bring them before God, and I, and I, I pay attention to them, but I wait on God with them like David did. And, and, and um, as C.S. Lewis says, you don't do this overnight. It took him 30 years to forgive one person. Now, I'm not saying take 30. Uh, Pastor Pete said 30 years. I got 30 years to be angry with you. I mean... But the point is, he realized, he did realize that one of his writings that, wow, he still had not forgiven somebody. But there's, time is important. And time does give a lot of perspective and do a lot of healing. And it helps. And, and forgiveness and reconciliation are different issues. I can forgive Drew or forgive you or you can forgive me, but reconciliation takes two people. It takes a lot of maturity and a lot of health to really be fully reconciled. And, 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 and all we talked about bad teaching is, the fact that I forgive you doesn't mean I trust you. You stole money from you, from me, okay? But I don't trust you with money. So you're gonna have to earn trust over time. That's, I may forgive you, but I still don't trust you. And so you're not gonna manage my checkbook and take care of my cash for me, all right? Uh, so that's gonna, take, that's gonna take time. So really, there's so much bad teaching on forgiveness that it becomes so cheap all over the body of Christ. And that, that to me is that it kills our relationships, it kills our community, it kills our ability to love well. Anyway, secondly, once we get rid of the bad teaching is, I've got to make sure I've got the facts straight. Some of us are hurt by people and things that are inaccurate. In other words, it never really even happened the way we think. Um, you know, there's this woman, Mary, and uh, I read her story. Her father had left her at three years old. Ended up getting abused by a stepfather and a whole long journey. And finally, in her second marriage in her late 20s, she decides she wants to find her father, her biological father. Now, understand, she, she met him when he was three, so she doesn't know what he looks like. So she, she's now married. She meets her father, her biological father, in a bar. Her father's with her, his, his girlfriend. And um, so it's a very difficult meeting, you know, for the first half hour, really awkward, and, you know, uh, you know what happened and all this. And then at one point, the father goes to the bathroom. And so Mary, uh, the 28-year-old daughter, asks the girlfriend, hey, how did you meet my dad? And the girlfriend says, well, you know, uh, I, I, we were at a bar, and I asked him, what is your astrological sign? And he said, ah, vasectomy, because I never wanted to have children. And so the girl, she, she said, I felt stunned. I, I felt sick. And, and she couldn't even engage in the conversation when he came back from the bathroom. And she, she, just, you know, she said, I had to go. I feel sick. And, and she left. And for years, she was processing the pain of that statement. Until finally, I forget how it was, a long story, how, how she ended up making contact with her biological dad again and asked her, you know, through, why, why did you, what did you mean by that? And, and, and he said, that's not what I said. I said, I never wanted to have more children, not no children. Because, and he explained to her, because it was so painful, I never saw you again. And your mother and I had such an estranged divorce that I couldn't see you. And I just said, I could never, I'll never have children again. It was so painful. So it was a total mix of what even happened. And, and so part of giving forgiveness is just make sure you've got the right facts. Because I'll be honest, in my position, I hear a lot of stuff. And I'm telling you, I don't know what percentage, but 
there's a decent percentage of angst and pain that is based on a, not, something that's not true. Well, I know. I bet it's true. I could feel it. I know you could feel it, but you need to ask them, is that what they really said or, or is that what they meant to say? Because sometimes it's a trigger for you of something deep and you just, you know, it's like you spiral down. And by three, you know, in three months, you know, they, they had a gun. They were going to assassinate you outside the house. And all they did was say, no, I don't want to go to the movies with you, you know. And, but it's, it gets crazy. So that's number two. Just make sure you get the facts straight. And uh, thirdly is just you, you want to, if possible, if, 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 it, if, it's, if you're able, this takes work, is to create opportunities for the offender to make good and help you heal. So in other words... If you, if you blast the person with silence or rage, then, then nothing positive is going to take place. But this person may not even know they hurt you. But th this is, what would, what would it help that person to do to help you heal? To even communicate that, you know what? You came late for a very important engagement. And I, I, I'll give you an example. My wife and I, I, I used to always show up late for things. I missed a really huge family engagement. And that's a built up over a couple of years. So she couldn't depend on me to show up on time. And um, it was very important for her. And so I'd wrestle with, what does it mean to make good on I'm really sorry? And I need Jared to really talk about what kind of situations are really important to you, how to function when I am running late legitimately. And it's just, it, it takes, for you giving forgiveness, uh, this can, this is a little bit of work. To actually think, because you just want, I don't want, I don't want to know. Just change. But to actually create some opportunities for the person who's hurt you to make good. And to actually begin doing some things differently. So anyway, I wish we had a weekend, right? I wish we had a weekend to play with this and work it all out. Michael, did you ever make the two, two slides? Try it. Let's look at it. So, so as you look at this, you know, here's asking forgiveness and giving forgiveness. And, and I try to lay out some tasks. And again, I, I don't want, you know, God doesn't give us one, two, three, four. And I believe on purpose because this is complicated. But by God's grace, we are a limping people, right? Like we're limping. We're all limping, broken. But we're limping hopefully from bad blood with people to good blood, to being able to give forgiveness genuinely and receive it genuinely as well, and, uh, and, and how to ask it. And so, uh, you know, this is a process, and again, I, I, it's a miracle to get there. But I want to be a yes face. I want to close with verse 10. That, that, go, go to verse 10, Mike, that verse uh, where he says, Jacob says to Esau, for to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now that I have, you have received me favorably. Or I like Eugene Peterson's translation. When I saw your face, it was as the face of God smiling on me. Wow. We used to have an expression here called a yes face. Are you a yes face? You know, when they're with you, it's like, ah, it's just like a yes face versus a, a no face. A yes face is warm, approachable, you know, delights in you. You know, they're just, they're just a, you know, they're just, they're non-judgmental. They're safe. And... God is like that with us, right? God has a yes face to us. God smiles at us. Even when we've been nasty to him, he has a yes face toward us. He has a smiling face toward us. And now in the same way, we are called to be as the face of God, smiling at the people who've been our enemies. Now that takes a miracle, doesn't it? I mean, that's like, wow. So that I can engage this person without, you know, anger or tension that I can engage this person who's hurt me with delight and joy and safety just like God would. Wow. That's true maturity in Christianity. Now, how do you think I feel preaching this, okay? I almost took the lady's head off at the airport on Wednesday, you know? 
but to be a yes face. So, so I, I, this does take a, a miracle to happen. But the great thing is God is good at miracles. He is good at taking people like you. You're Jacob and so am I. We are Israel, the new Israel, the people of God. And God takes us and does a miracle and actually makes us like the face of God to people. Can you imagine? That's how good our God is. So William, I want you to come forward. And I want to invite us to invite the Holy Spirit to do inside of us what we cannot do for ourselves. And that is to, when people say, will say to us, when I see your face, Joe and Susie and Harry and Isaac, it's as the face of God smiling on me. Wow. Jesus inside of you smiling at people. Friends, you can't do that to yourself and I can't either, but God can. Our work is twofold. To be living in a place of, Lord, forgive me of my debts. And Lord, help me to forgive other people. Right? The Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have debts against us. I live there every day, God. Do that miracle with me. So what we're going to do is, William's got this song, which is a lovely song. He sent it to me months ago. And I said, today's our day, William. It's kind of a solo. And it's based on the prodigal son. And you'll notice the prodigal son in Luke 15 runs away and wanders from the love of God for me. You know you're lost when you've wandered from the love of God for you. And every time I wander from the love of God and take life in my own hands, I'm lost. I'm sinning. And so my life is one of repentance. And the key phrase in the song is, Daddy, here I am again. So I want to invite all of you, as he's singing this song, to repent. All of us, like, God, I'm not a good forgiver. I, I wander from you all the time, Lord. I, I don't smile on people. In fact, I go, ah, with people, you know, and even though you've loved me first. And so as you ponder your life, let's repent. And then we're going to come to the Lord's table. So first we're going to examine ourselves and ask for forgiveness as William sings a song. And then we're going to come to the Lord's table and receive his smile and forgiveness and life, okay? And we'll eat and drink of Jesus himself. So all right, Michael, put the words up and uh, listen and make this your prayer before the Father with me. Living on my own, thinking for myself, castles in the sand, temporary wealth, walls are falling down, storms are closing in, tears have filled my eyes, here I am again. says that we're to examine ourselves before we come to the table of the Lord, so that's hopefully what you've just done. You know, Daddy, here I am. Will you take me back tonight? I think we live in that posture of, oh, Abba, Father, will you take me back? Cleanse me, Lord. And so we all come limping, all right, to the table of the Lord. We're limping like Jacob, permanently with a dislocated hip. We come in here because God's reached out to us by grace. So Jesus says, he takes the bread, breaks it. He gives it. It's a gift. Take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Takes the cup and offers it again to us, disciples. Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of my covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. This is, this is receiving a smiling face of God for you. All right, just letting it wash in. That's why this is so important we're doing this together, you know, because we're, we're learning to worship. We're learning to experience his smiling face toward us, his constant grace and love and forgiveness. But that wasn't cheap. 
And that's why it's so important that we bask and cultivate our own relationship with the living God daily and spending time with Him in offices and alone with Him and Sabbath keeping just because this is great, but we've got to be living in this kind of receiving from God His grace and mercy or else, you know what? You're going to become a sledgehammer because everything is going against you being a smiling face to your enemies, just like it is for me. That's why this communion table is so important. So we want to invite you all to stand, all right? This is, a, this is called the table of the Lord. It's Jesus' table. It's for all believers are welcome to this table. And you don't earn the right to come to this table. It's a gift. Okay, Thomas and Peter got the first gift. The only requirement is to come up here limping like Jacob. You come in the name of Jesus alone. His death, his resurrection, his ascension, his blood, his name, not your name, not your performance, not your good record this week that you prayed a lot or were nice. You say, no, Lord, I come in, in your name alone. That, Lord, I, I have sinned. I have wandered from you. I've not loved as I should, Lord. I've, I've not even appreciated your grace for me. I've just lived my own thing. Oh, life, God. I come in the name of Jesus to receive a gift and eat and drink of Christ. And what you're saying is, I, I can't live without you. Christ in me, and I'm in Christ, and I'm crucified with Christ, and, and I'm eating and drinking his very life in me because there is no way I'll ever be a smiling face and love those who don't love me unless Christ dwells and fills my life. That's why we're commanded to come and partake of the communion together. We're all in this together, friends. There are no superstars here. That's, if you're a superstar, God says don't come because you're coming in your own self-sufficiency. We come dependent on God and him alone, his blood, his broken body. All right, so I'm going to pray, and there's four tables here, and there's a bunch of tables up top there, and uh, you'll take the bread and you'll dip it in the cup, and William's going to lead us in a couple songs of just worshiping as we'll fill this place with worship of gratefulness to God and love for Him, and just eat and drink of Him as you're ready as you partake and dip it in the, in the cup, whether at your seat or right away up front here. Okay, let's bow for a moment as we begin. And Lord, it is true that your love surpasses human knowledge. So Lord, I pray that you would grant us the courage to come to the table and to meet your smiling face and to eat and drink of you, that your life would truly fill our lives and you would transform us, Lord, to be a smiling face back to you and towards our enemies and those who've hurt us. So do a profound work of change in us, Lord, because we can't change ourselves. So we come for you, and we come to you. In your name, Lord Jesus.